storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on stories of the week. So you know how it works. If you've listened to the show, you know that in this feature, what we like to do is look at some of the stories that came through. Maybe they were in the media, maybe they were in opinion pieces, and uh, how they addressed some of the issues of the week and some of the highlights or even lowlights of the week as well. Now, Mark Labner is the founder and executive chairman of an organization called Africa Tikkun. He's also a philanthropist. And he wrote an article on uh, the economic um, response or the plans of the Sonar 22 address, commenting on what he thought some of the intervention interventions could and should include, and also talking to uh, some of the areas of skills creation, etc. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for having me on your show. Mark, Africa Tikkun always doing excellent work. Can you just explain to our listeners what it is that Africa Tikkun does? Yes, sure. Well, it's a pleasure. Please allow me just to make one correction. Um, I would love to say I was the uh, founder and creator of Africa Tikkun. And that was my late father. Um, I actually just picked up uh, from him after he um, involved me in the organization some 15, 16 years ago. My apologies. Uh, that's that comes not at all. Not, not at all. I just, I just felt it was really more appropriate that my yeah. dad be giving kudos and credit to Absolutely. the Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and quickly, if I may. Um, not for not because I'm wanting to give a plug to the Smile Foundation, which I am the founder of. Yeah. But we celebrated the 21st anniversary, and just a, a shout out to the people who are working in these state hospitals because they honestly don't get enough of the credit that's deserved. Yeah. Uh, the, the the demands on them, particularly the nursing staff, is just enormous, and and they don't have enough of the facilities that are needed to do uh, a great job of work. So they typically get lambasted rather than necessarily the credit that they deserve. Getting back to Tikkun. So, um, so, so okay, wait, before you even go there, because yeah. I think you've raised such an interesting thing, and it comes back to um, what what some of our listeners are saying in the conversation around NGOs. But, you know, listening back to Wings and Wishes earlier, the work that they're doing, for example, at the Red Cross Children's Hospital, I do think that there is, as you say, a value network that is sometimes forgotten in the process of how everyone engages together to get, for example, a child um, with a new smile or a child who is ill or an, a, a person who needs to move further into the world after health. Um, maybe just give that a shout out again, because I think we're allowed, we're, we're allowed to do that and we should do that. Well, thank you very much indeed, because that's going to be central to the theme um, of what I'd like to try and propose, promote. Um, and it's it's initiated in pretty much all the organizations that I'm blessed to be involved in. But, you know, we're human beings, and many of the problems that we're dealing with are created you know, by ourselves. And therefore, the solutions lie in our hands. The problem is that we've you know, fallen into a mindset of repeating past patterns. We don't inspire ourselves thinking forward about how together we can collaborate to bring about change. But each of us can, in fact, play a role. We we, we adopt what I'd like to almost call um, channel vision. We see government as responsible for X, Y, Z, and if government doesn't do that, well, it ain't going to get done. Mm -hmm. And private sector responsible for this and civil society. It's absolute nonsense, with all due respect, because we have the ability. I I want to do this right now. I want to applaud you in that conversation because absolutely critical is this idea 
that, as I say, we are a value network. It's not simply a silo yeah. of government, a silo of the private sector, a silo of the civil society and not-for-profits. We do need to see less antagonism and more collaboration. You know, very often what it is is a fear of stepping outside our boundaries because we fear that uh, we're not going to be welcomed. And I would like to start off by suggesting that in the 15, 16 years that I've been involved in this line of work, I have never encountered such receptivity. Maybe it's got to do with the fact that we've been, all of us, bruised uh, as a result of what's gone on this last decade. Maybe it's because sovereign coffers are dry. Maybe it's because we're searching for solutions and the problems, you know, for argument's sake of youth unemployment are getting bigger and bigger. But I find that humans in South Africa, human beings in South Africa, are in fact calling out for integration and support. The days where um, I, I had government officials saying, don't go there, that's a boundary line, uh, seem to be fading and fading fast. I get far more of a reaction and a response from government these days. Uh, unfortunately, I'm under an NDA, but I met with a minister um, of uh, government uh, two Saturdays ago, mm. um, and, and the reaction and the receptivity that we found when we shared our model of how to develop young children and the way we monitor and measure performance, uh, uh, literally within a week, we, were rece we received the call back to say, can we start workshopping? Can we take your model and see if it makes sense for that model to be extended uh, across the country? So what Africa Tikkun does very quickly is <laughs> it started off as a vanilla charity trying to do good deeds uh, for people living in poverty. I think there was a certain amount of guilt driving the motivation of the organization. Um, but nevertheless, the, the principles were always built around solid business principles of proper governance, being responsible for other people's monies, things of that nature, making certain that one was sensitive to the community needs, those sorts of principles. Yeah. And over the years, um, we realized that simply just to be a philanthropic organization was not sustainable. Once my dad was going to pass on at some point in time, which he would, um, we had to necessarily create a different model. So we came up with what was called a cradle-to-career model. And the cradle-to-career model simply says, if we can interface uh, with young individuals as early in their uh, stage of development as possible, and we can provide support structures, and I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean by support structures in a sec. It's not creating dependency, but support structures that enable an early childhood development phase to morph into a youth, after school's youth development um, program, leading to career development, giving then kids an opportunity to experience different jobs, job shadowing, learning how to open up bank accounts, learning how to feel confident about interviewing, and then migrating those individuals through a, 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 a unit within Africa Tikkun that looks at learnerships, work experience programs, to give practical skills training, and then hopefully into the formal sector. So there are essentially three operating entities in Intercon. There's a foundation, which looks after children literally from the age of zero all the way through to 19, with various programs, center-based, and equally also doing work in, the, in, in an outreach manner into the communities. Then there's a organization called Africa Tikkun Services, which <clears throat> I think must be one of the more progressive organizations that gives effect to 
not just job skills training, not just meeting the YES program requirements, but making sure that there's a proper matching of young individuals to the opportunities that are there. And young individuals who we know what they want to do, not just necessarily people who want to put a wage in their pocket. Yeah. And then we realized that that wasn't enough. <clears throat> we had to go a step further. So to help fund the organization, we created a, uh, a an equity investment arm, a Black Economic Empowerment Investment Arm. And as a broad-based trust, we were able to take stakes in companies ranging from Redefine all the way through to Stallion Security. And, and two quick examples, Redefine, you know, determined that they wanted to help build um, small enterprise skills support centers. And they used then their CSI uh, contribution and the fact that we were equity partners in that business to together go and open up places uh, in Soweto. It was our first, uh, what we call hub, where we provide supports for SMEs. Um, Stallion Security, a company that necessarily would engage with us to help develop career pathways. Before kids even got to, 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 to their employee, we would infuse them with an idea that you start at a particular level in a company and you then grow. You don't necessarily come in day one as the general manager or CEO type thing. Yeah. So th this model has sort of been <clears throat> um, uh, it, it created some 15 odd years ago. It's been finessed. It will always be finessed over time. And um, this year, we're in fact rolling out uh, that cradle to career model across the country wow. with the intention to pull together community-based organizations, not under the Tikkun banner. It's not a Tikkun, it's a Tikkun-driven project, but it's not a Tikkun-owned project, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the idea is, can we bring community-based organizations collectively together with the private sector, geography by geography, so that we train for skills that we know that private sector necessarily wants in that particular region, and then partner with government. So, you know, hence this belief in this tripartite approach to um, building communities that work collectively together, rather than waiting for a national plan. You know, Mark, um, you mentioned some of the corporates that you're working with to increase your reach and to increase your impact. And one of the things I did want you to maybe explain for our listeners is that we are coming to the end of the financial year. And for many 18A organizations, this could be the opportunity for businesses to engage with them. Perhaps you could just explain that for, for our listeners in terms of how that works. Sure. Well, you know, a donation given to a not-for-profit organization uh, typically gets that organization a tax deduction. Um, Obviously, it varies depending upon um, the, the nature of the contribution and equally the quantum of money that's been given away. But um, my appeal, this might even impact my own donors, so I hope I'm not shooting ourselves in the foot, but my appeal to donors is um, in giving away the money that you do, generosity defines so many South African organizations. Ask yourself the question, as we do all the time, the so what question. So what? So you're giving money to a feeding scheme. Fantastic. Is it important? Critically. But if you could influence that feeding scheme to partner with an educational organization and make that one of the conditions of giving, well, you've already um, removed part of the fear that the nonprofit has, which is, oh, I'm going to lose my donor if my donor is introduced to an educational organization and I'm a feeding scheme. We, we, we have as donors 
the ability to influence change. A lot of my own family foundation, for the sake of the moment, is oriented towards how can we loop together the efforts, in our instance, it's in, this, in the field of children living with disabilities and their families. How do we group together multiple organizations that are working in that space so as to have a more effective outcome? So with the, with the tax year, yes, it's quite right to say, fair um, for many companies. Um, my, my suggestion would be consider wisely when you're giving away your CSI spend, uh, whether there's a way that you might be able to influence the recipient of those monies to motivate them to look at partnering with other organizations. Um, we, we all know others are giving money to other schemes. Why don't donors necessarily form collaborative circles? Equally, I can tell you that government is very receptive to working with the private sector. Um, from, from the experience that I've, I'm having at the present moment, um, there's just an openness. Uh, government's got its policies, as they rightly should, but within those policy frameworks, there is the opportunity for private sectors to sit down and discuss at local level, at regional level, and even perhaps at national level. I, you know, the, the one partnership agreement I can talk about, which is that with the Department of Social Development, uh, the Minister of Social Development, Nindi uh, Zulu, is very keen to meet with corporate heads to say, how do we prevent young people from uh, simply becoming grant recipients? And I'm being overly vocal, but the, no young individual, very few young individuals, certainly that I work with in the townships, want to have a social media profile that says unemployed and on social grants. They, they, they want to be known to be somebody and some, doing something. And the minister recognizes that there just isn't enough money, despite this enormous contribution that you saw in the latest budget, uh, going to social grants. <clears throat> she doesn't want to create a nation of dependence. She wants to see young people out there earning a living, generating a wage. And there are some very interesting ways that that can be done, not through governments having to, 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 to create jobs, because uh, I hold to a view that says that's, uh, the private sector, and by the way, civil society's responsibility to do. So, you know, Mark, I, you, you, I'll tell you, as you talk, I'm reminded of one of our great um, guests on the show, and he, he comes quite often on the show, is Andre Flock, who talks about conflict resolution. But what, right. I, what I'm perhaps more interested in is not necessarily the conflict resolution, but the idea that we might actually be thinking more we might actually need to force ourselves to think more about collaboration and not just saying us as civil society or as the corporate, but also um, government as well as what does collaboration really, really mean? I do have to go to a break, but perhaps you could answer that when we come back from the break. Sure, it's a great question. Thought leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. We're chatting to Mark Labner, who is the executive chairman of Africa Tikkun. He's a philanthropist and he is also uh, giving us some insights into the broader terrain of what it means to be in civil society, to engage with government, to engage with the private sector, and possibly to try and find an ecosystem that is more collaborative. Mark, when we talk about collaboration, how wh what is the mindset that we need? Um, I'm thinking of that Adam Cahan 
uh, book collaborating with the enemy. But the mindset there is almost wrong as well because maybe it's not. We need to stop thinking of uh, the enemy per se and try to find a space of 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 um, agreement, I suppose. Commonality. Commonality, yeah. yeah. I, I th- and and it's a, as I said, it's a, it really is a great question. What does collaboration look like? Um, you know, and I'm reminded of a, a saying uh, that's, I think, often used, I, I think, Deeb was quoted by, uh, as having said this, and a gentleman worked with us at Tikkun, Herbie Rosenberg, for many years before he passed away, unfortunately, recently. He used to have a saying that he used to say, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So it starts, I reckon, with planning phase. Um, that's where the, the mindset shift, I think, really does need to take place. It's not about me coming up with my game plan and then me coming to motivate you to join it. It's about... Can we sit together and say, we have a common issue. Youth unemployment affects every single one of us, whether you're employed in government ranks uh, or whether you're you know, in the private sector. Um, we, we have a situation which is just an unacceptable situation with too many young people who want to work uh, are not finding work. So can we sit down together and start planning together? That's where, that's where I believe the, the, the impetus starts. We, we've seen so many, you know, wonderful initiatives coming out of NEPAD, for argument's sake. Uh, so many fantastic, Trevor Manuel's grand scheme that he had for South Africa. It was a magnificent piece of economic policy. But the reality of it is, is that it was created and fashioned to a large extent uh, with, to, to be the private sector and government, but completely, in my opinion, did not involve sufficiently grassroots um, community-based organizations. You, you, you can't, one thing I learned a long, long time ago is it's no good to come charging in on a white horse and say to communities, we're going to save you. It doesn't work that way. People have got regard and respect and they want to be part of the solution, uh, of their solution in particular. So the, the second point is that to try and design a national uh, game plan um, when we still have quite strong divisions. We've still got, unfortunately, racial divisions. We've still got a huge uh, spread between the haves and the have-nots. Um, so that, there, are, there are some challenges to be overcome. It sounds all wonderful in theory. We'll sit down together and plan together. But, but there, are some, there are some difficulties and challenges in that space. And my, my sense is that if one did this on a geographic basis, hmm. if one looked at regions and created these, if I can call them sort of socioeconomic hubs, and within those hubs, you looked at what the needs were. What are the skill bases and what skills do you need to uplift? Where are the commercial opportunities in that space? What does that area lend itself to? You know, like a, a farmer has a huge piece of land, invariably he doesn't plant the same crop across the entire piece of land. Yeah. He'll assess what the water is, for argument's sake, and he'll plant appropriately. Um, so, so the same, I almost want to call socioeconomic mapping, needs to take place across South Africa, and in fact, with our rollout program, how we, we, we go about it, we, we have an organization called Ranyaka that goes and does a socioeconomic mapping of the geography. We then find out who's in that environment, what are the businesses that are already established, or the schools that are already established, and then how do we integrate a model that will help lead cradle-to-career employment opportunities, ultimately. Um, and I think that's uh, an important part of what I call collaboration. At a local level, people have got a lot more in common than necessarily just at a national level. 
Mark, um, I think there's, we're going to leave yeah. it there, but I want to say thank you so much. There's so much we can learn from that. And I think let's, uh, as all of us, try to think about what is our approach? Do we come in from the negative or do we say, okay, this is an, this is an opportunity, maybe an asset-based uh, ABCD opportunity uh, that we can really start to look at? Mark Lubner is the founder and executive cha- so chairman. Much. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Mark. Not founder, apologies, executive chairman of Africa Tikkun. He's also a philanthropist. And um, it's a very interesting question coming through, and it's something that we'll have to maybe take somewhere else at a later stage. Someone's saying, please ask Mark what he thinks about people aged 36 to 59. And I think that's um, a great question. Um, what happens if you're out of work at that age? And how does one think about uh, being committed to a different world in that particular space. It's 7.56. This is your Big Fat Juicy. Big Fat Juicy.